Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound Off. I really do know we can do this. End hunger in this country by the year 2030. There is a food crisis, and it's not because we don't have enough food. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. Russia is attempting to annex the territory of another sovereign nation. The United States will never recognize any territory Russia attempts to seize. Hurricane Ian is now making landfall. In Southwest Florida. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Inflation is helping to make a food crisis even worse. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. As Washington tries to get its arms around this matter with the first White House food summit in over 50 years. We talk solutions with the architect of the event, Congressman Jim McGovern, chair of the House Rules Committee, who is now knee deep in the debate over how to fund the government. Later this hour, Russia moves to annex a big chunk of Ukraine after declaring landslide victories in what the White House calls sham referendums. We'll be talking about it with Melinda Herring of the Atlantic Council's Eurasia Center on Ukraine and with our signature panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano back with us for the hour. We talk so much about the causes and side effects of inflation. It's a daily story here at Bloomberg, knowing that rising prices are leaving people with less buying power, and that makes food insecurity a reality for a lot of people and it's why they held the first hunger summit today in over 50 years in washington president nixon was in power the last time that happened in office the white house conference on hunger nutrition and health is what it's really called president biden spoke there today since that time advances in research and medicine have taught us so much more about nutrition and health and today i'm convening this conference again because I believe we can use these advances to do even more to make America stronger and a healthier nation. Talking policy and solutions, Congressman Jim McGovern of Massachusetts was the drive behind the summit to begin with. The chair of the House Rules Committee joins us to talk about that. And, of course, whether Congress can find a way to fund the government this week. Congressman, welcome back to Bloomberg. I'm happy to be with you. You've been working to make this summit happen for years, and I congratulate you on it. The timing is remarkable considering the inflation we've seen in food prices, the shortages caused by the war in Ukraine. Congressman, is there a food crisis in this country? There is a food crisis, and it's not because we don't have enough food. Uh, It's because our systems are set up in such a way uh, that um, it's difficult for many people to be able to get access to that food. Um, You know, look... uh, you know, a hunger, in my opinion, should be illegal, right? There, there is no nation on this planet that is better equipped to eliminate hunger than us. Uh, and it persists because we lack the political will. Hunger is a political condition. Uh, food insecurity is a political condition. Uh, lack of access to nutrition is a political condition. And we can change that. The percentage of people living in, in homes that are considered food insecure has gone up to about 11.5%, according uh, to the census. That's up from a little over 10% uh, just months earlier. Congressman, what's going on in this country? And, and is that 
the symptom of what you're talking about? Well, it, it, you know, there are many uh, symptoms that are, contrib- that are contributing to this challenge. I mean, there's, there's an intersectionality with a whole bunch of issues. I mean, obviously, when energy costs go up and food costs goes, goes up, you know, that has an impact. But so does the high cost of housing. So does, you know, uh, medical bills. Uh, you, know, the, you know, and so, and the other thing is that pandemic programs that were de- designed to provide people some a little, a little additional help during the pandemic are now expiring uh, because, you know, we're saying we're out of the pandemic. So, for example, the child tax credit, which provided a, a lot of relief to many families and lifted, you know, uh, uh, you know, millions and millions of children out of poverty. Mm. That the, you know, it expired, and the Republicans don't want to allow us to put it back in place. So that's contributing to uh, uh, you know the, the rise in food insecurity as well. The president just announced more than eight billion dollars in private and public right. financial commitments here. More than a hundred organizations. Many of the proposals outlined, though, as solutions here, Congressman, require approval from Congress. Uh, expanded food stamps, free school meals, right. expanded free school meals. How do you get that done post midterm elections? Well, look, I mean, we do it uh, because we create the political will and the political pressure all throughout the country to get Congress to do the right thing. But, for example, on universal free uh, school meals, uh, California, Vermont, and Maine have already done it. Uh, and Massachusetts has just extended free school meals for a year. We want to, we, we want to, you know, make it uh, permanent. Uh, Senator Sel, uh, D. Domenico is, uh, from Massachusetts is here, um, who is, was the, was the champion of that. Uh, so, um, you know, and so what we need to do is, uh, we get done what we can get done on the federal level. Yeah. If not go state by state by state, but we can do this. This is all doable. You mentioned the enhanced child tax credit. That was a big part of the Build Back Better debate. Of course, it was actually codified by the House. It never got uh, through the Senate and, and and became law. Is there another vehicle for that, Congressman? Uh, you know what? Um, you know, we unfortunately with the filibuster in the Senate, you have to think creatively. I mean, I don't know. I I'd like to be in maybe a second reconciliation bill at some point, or you know, um, because uh, I mean, if that's what it takes. I mean, we'll have to wait and see what happens in the election. Yeah. But obviously, I mean, I, you know, if, if you know, we have more sympathetic uh, people who get elected in the House and Senate, we can do a lot more. But unfortunately, you know, the Senate with their 60 vote requirement, you know, makes it really difficult to get some of these things done. Well, we've proven that in the last couple of hours here, and I know you're preparing to debate and vote on a government funding bill uh, this week that will not include Joe Manchin's permitting legislation. But will that, I guess we can call it a clean CR, pass by the deadline on Friday? I believe it will. I believe it will. I mean, I think it'll pass the Senate either today or tomorrow, and then it will come right to the House. Uh, And, you know, and we're prepared to bring it to the floor immediately. Uh, and, And my hope is that after the election, we can, you know, iron out some of the differences and, and get an omnibus uh, budget passed so that we can have funding for the for all of next year and we can and we can move on. Uh, but look, you know, the, the issues of hunger and nutrition and security, these are these are solvable issues. And some of it, you know, requires uh, acts of Congress. Some of it requires systems to change and, and, and embrace you know, new and innovative approaches to dealing with the, with the, with the issue, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, and I and I think that uh, you know, you mentioned the $8 billion in commitments from the private sector. I mean, that money can be used to help support innovative initiatives all across the country that are helping combat hunger and promoting better nutrition. So, uh, you know, states can do stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, the nonprofits can do stuff. 
faith-based organization can do stuff. So you know, um, so I, you know, so I'm, I'm I'm hopeful that we can we we can get we can move forward. Uh, dramatically in some of those areas. You mentioned the loss of COVID funding. The president's request for $22 billion is not in the legislation uh, that that you're looking at this week. Is that a mistake, Congressman? How long can this go on for before the administration's being blamed again for a lack of resources when we get the next surge? Yeah, but look, I mean, the administration is doing everything it can. Democrats in the House are trying to do everything we can. I mean, we have a problem in the Senate where you need 60 votes. And so you need 10 senators to, to join with us. Look, we're going to do everything we can to make sure we don't have a government shutdown. Remember, the last time we had a government shutdown, the Republicans controlled the White House, the House, and the Senate. I mean, that was irresponsible. We would, we would, we would not do that. And that, and that, you know, and and you know, the fact of the matter is, there's a lot of stuff that we I would like to see in a CR, and there's a lot of stuff, you know, that I would you know, like to add on. Yeah. But you know, I know I can't get it past the Senate, so we have to do the best we can, working with the people that we 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 have to deal with. Sounds like Democrats. Uh prepare to do another reconciliation bill after the midterms? Well, I would like to. I don't know whether, you know, that's just my idea. Um, but, uh, but I mean, that's, you know, my, my, my idea is that, you know, um, we have to get some stuff done. And by the way, I'm just speaking for myself on that. A lot's been made out of the fact that it's been 50 years since 1969, actually, since the last food summit. It was during the Nixon administration. Congressman, how come it took so long to do another? Yeah, well, that's a good question. I mean, one is the polarization of Congress. Uh, one is the demonization of poor people in this country. Um, you know, the uh, you know, and the other thing is that uh, to solve this problem, it requires more than just about increasing, um, you know, the amount of money for one program, or or it's more than the, the, about more than just having one agency do something. Yeah, it requires multiple, um, you know, uh, all of government to come together. That's why we're having this conference, to pull everybody together. This is not just a USDA issue. It's a health and human services issue. It's a transportation issue, a housing issue. So the point of the conference is to get everybody to the table to talk about something we've got to be able to agree on. And look, you know, we talked about Republicans. You know, George McGovern and Bob Dole, Democrat and Republican, liberal and conservative, came together during the 1970s and passed historic legislation to combat hunger uh, and uh, and in nutrition and security. Mm. They, you know, they believe you don't have to agree on everything to agree on something. I hope that we can all agree uh, and unite around food, and I hope we can also unite around the importance of ending hunger. That's what this is all about. We're, we're thinking big and we're thinking bold. We can solve this problem, uh, and Democrats and Republicans ought to, ought to come together on this, no matter what our differences may be on other things. Well, let's talk again when there's action, Congressman. Thank you so much for being with us in the middle of what I'm sure is a heck of a busy day. Congressman Jim McGovern from the great city of Worcester, Mass. Thanks for being with us on Bloomberg. All the, all the best, thanks. As we turn to the panel now for their feelings on some of what we just heard, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis with us for a bit of a swing at this. Uh, Jeannie, I, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on Democrats coming back around after the midterms for another reconciliation bill to maybe get some of these policies enacted to consider the expanded child tax credit as a good example. Yeah, I mean, and that's the rub is is much of what is laid out in the president's very ambitious plan to combat food insecurity in eight years requires action by Congress. And so the Democrats have no choice but to go on reconciliation because Republicans oppose expansion of things like food stamps and school meals. So I think what's going to happen, that's going to be hard for them to do. And we're going to be dealing with small ball, again, things that don't take Congress's action, like food labels, which are important 
important, but hardly the type of thing that we need to combat this massive food insecurity. One out of 10 Americans facing this problem. I don't know what the, the, the rules are here exactly, Rick, if that's even allowed again in this calendar year. But uh, can we do reconciliation, too? You know, so much uh, is going to depend upon who prevails in the midterm elections. Uh, yeah. If Democrats hold the majority, they'll be emboldened to try and uh, get something through like that. Uh, there's obviously an expansive agenda that they want to do that they left undone this year. And yet it's also uh, got a huge impact on it. Uh, All right, we're just getting started with the panel. Hold that thought, Rick. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis with more straight ahead on the fastest hour in politics. As we follow the bouncing ball to the deadline on Friday, I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. This is Bloomberg. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. You heard Congressman McGovern say it here on Sound On. They're going to vote on this stopgap funding bill. They'll do it by Friday. There's no risk of a shutdown. This, of course, after it all came together during the broadcast last evening. Wasn't that something? 15 minutes into the show, all of a sudden, Joe Manchin says goodbye permitting bill. And uh, the whole thing came together with a, a Senate approval, 7223. Funny how well that worked. Uh, Chuck Schumer, the majority leader, held a briefing today, is there to talk about the accomplishments of Democrats. And, you know, one of the first questions was, hey, thought you had a deal with Joe Manchin. Here's how he handled it. I kept my commitment to Senator Manchin and look who blocked it. The Republicans. My commitment was Democrats. We had good Democratic unity. Senator Manchin, and he will be the first to admit this, and you saw it in his speech, was supposed to get what wanted to get and thought he could get on permitting oh. reform the number, the requisite number of Republicans to get 60. He didn't. That's well, where it's at. Thought he could get. So kind of Joe Manchin's fault, too. You reading that the same way? Let's bring in the panel. Uh, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors, Rick, what do you think about this? You know, when you make a deal, there's there's no promise that you're going to have the votes, right? 
no problem. You're going to have the votes. You can make a commitment to put it on the agenda. You can make a commitment to try and tag it on a piece of legislation. But at the end of the day, um, you, you can only be responsible for working your caucus. You can't be responsible for the opposition, for the other side of the aisle. And in this case, it did come back and bite Manchin and Schumer. I mean, this makes Schumer look like, you know, cutting a deal with him in the future doesn't have any teeth. And that yeah. hurts his leadership. Well, is that the case here, Jeannie? I mean, did Chuck Schumer also uh, bear some responsibility in, in providing the votes? You know, he does. I mean, he is majority leader, but he did live up to his part. He promised to get this, you know, if he could get the votes to get this included, he couldn't get it. But, you know, for me, the real shame here is the fact and I understand they wanted the IRA to pass very badly. So they moved expeditiously to get that done and and they took what they could get. But the fact is this kind of reform would have helped in many areas, including for the many green projects. And the fact that very few people have made that case and all we keep hearing about is the fact that this is going to help fossil fuel industry. But the fact is it helps solar, it helps wind, it helps geothermal. The fact that that case was not made either by Manchin or Schumer is a shame because when Schumer says we we had unity on the Democratic side, no, he did not. He didn't have the green folks and they didn't make the case to them to pull them over. Boy, it's really something uh, today. We, we heard from Gavin Newsom uh, in an interview on MSNBC that, that Democrats are just not delivering the message. To your point right there, Jeannie, and, and Rick made a similar remark. When it comes to uh, their accomplishments, they're just not often able to seize the right message and, in fact, sometimes lose uh, in, in this case. Uh, how damaging is that for Democrats, Rick, going into the midterms here without being able to pull the, pull this off? Yeah, I think it's really damaging. I think that their message is all over the map. They had a good run post uh, Dobbs decision where they focused on abortion and, and pressed that. And it actually helped their numbers in a lot of these key states. Uh, but Newsom knows something about this. I mean, probably the best spokesman they've had has been. Governor Newsom going after Republican governors, right? And sort of like saying, okay, we're not going to put up with this anymore and we're going to come right at you guys. And, you know, so much in Congress gets lost in congressional speak. They're talking about CRs and, you know, things like that. And most voters couldn't care less what a CR is. I mean, like they don't even know. And and so it's very hard for congressmen uh, to make good, clear arguments. But that's the job of the White House. And again, we've talked about this on this show for two years now. Biden administration has a problem with a clear and convincing message to the American people on their priorities and accomplishments. And that's it. Jeannie, that's a tough spot to be in here uh, as you consider six weeks, I believe it is, until the midterm elections. Uh, what what does the message need to be? You know, we talk about the clock ticking on, on the, the, the fiscal year. The clock is ticking on the midterms. They'll get us through mid-December and, and set up another fight till then. But my goodness, you know, there's going to be more talk of inflation and the Fed meeting right as we go into this midterm campaign. And the president can't seem to shake that particular story. No, and you know, the Washington Post uh, poll that came out over the weekend had pretty good numbers for Joe Biden in terms of getting things done. To Rick's point, they had a much better summer. You know me, I miss pessimism. They had a much better summer than I ever thought they would getting legislation through. And yet the fact that they haven't been able to parlay that 
is in a messaging sense is really problematic for Democrats. I do agree with Newsom on that, although I would be cautious about Newsom. We all know while you're talking about 22, uh, Joe, he's thinking about 24. So he's got a real incentive to be out there making this case. He's got to be very careful not to undermine the president. But they really have to get this message out there that they have had enormous successes that people like me would have never imagined. Well, it's uh, something to consider as we turn to what we're going to discuss next, the situation uh, in in Russia and Ukraine, which is also going to feed into this debate, of course. The story today, the White House warned us, uh, calling them sham referendums, and they have uh, shockingly been complete in favor of Russia. We're going to do that next. Rick and Jeannie, stay where you are. Signature panel here on Bloomberg Sound On. The latest uh, from this whole situation is is really something as Vladimir Putin uh, raises more pressure moving to annex Ukraine. And we'll have details on this coming up straight ahead with Melinda Herring of the Atlantic Council's Eurasia Center on Ukraine. It's the fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. We'll update traffic and markets for you as we make our way through. This is Bloomberg. It's Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington with news from Moscow declaring landslide victories, which is exactly what everyone expected in the hastily organized referendums, if we can call them that, referenda that it held in territories currently occupied by Russian forces uh, on their heels, of course, following, as I mentioned, a string of military setbacks. The U.N. is condemning the voting as illegal. Uh, people sometimes forced to vote at gunpoint, apparently. Reaction from the White House, they see it in a similar way. They were already calling it a sham vote before it happened. This is Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. These so-called referenda have been an exercise in coercion and disinformation executed by puppet authorities following orders from Russia. Based on our information, every aspect of this referendum process was pre-staged and orchestrated by the Kremlin. U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Linda Thomas-Greenfield spoke today at a a U.N. Security Council meeting specifically on Ukraine. Here's how she put it. The United States will never recognize any territory Russia attempts to seize or allegedly annex as anything other than part of Ukraine. But does it matter what the U.S. recognizes if Russia considers something an attack on its sovereign territory This war could get a lot more complicated. Melinda Herring is with us, I'm glad to say. Deputy Director of the Atlantic Council's Eurasia Center on Ukraine and back as part of the conversation here on Bloomberg Radio. Melinda, thank you uh, for sharing some time with us here. How concerned are you about this development? Hey, Joe, very concerned is the answer. So you're right that it doesn't matter a whole lot that the U.S. is not recognizing it. No one's going to recognize these referendums. They're shams, right? This is not Russian democracy. But the point is that these four provinces, it's about 18% of Ukraine, are going to be brought under Moscow's nuclear umbrella. And Ukraine is not covered by the West's nuclear umbrella. That's why the situation is getting very serious. Moscow is huffing and puffing, 
and they have a history of huffing and puffing about using nuclear weapons, and they've never used them. So a lot of experts in town think that this is just the same old thing. But it's different this time. Vladimir Putin is in a corner. He's getting his butt kicked in Ukraine, and he doesn't have that many options. And we don't think he has a face-saving option. So this could be the prelude to the use of a nuclear weapon, is what you're saying? So I've been asking all the experts in town who have uh, been doing this a lot longer than I have, and no one thinks he's going to use nuclear weapons. It's quite complicated for him to do it. It involves a lot of decision makers. There's no evidence that, that the Russians are putting the pieces in place uh, that would need to be done in order to use nuclear weapons. Uh, as far as we can tell, as a community, there's about a 5% chance that he would he would use weapons. Okay. But, you know, there's still a chance, right? That's why this is... And he has other levers as well. He's threatening to use nuclear weapons, but he could also not renew the grain deal. So he cut off all the grain from Ukraine, and that would really hurt food prices, and it could starve a lot of people in October. He could also cut off Russian oil in November, and that would also cause prices to really spike here in the U.S. right during election season. So he still has leverage. He is, in fact, threatening to cut off the last gas pipeline uh, to uh, European allies here. This is a a pretty desperate situation as well. Uh, This winter, my goodness, you talk about uh, his ability to weaponize almost anything here. Uh, weaponizing energy is clearly one way to do it, but also it doesn't have to be nuclear. And I think you made this point last time we spoke, Melinda, he can do an enormous amount of damage against civilian populations with conventional weapons. That's right. That's right. So he doesn't have to use nuclear weapons. He could use a tactical nuke, and that's a lot easier to do. He could also continue to do uh, hit civilian targets in Ukraine and, and really turn up the pressure so that there's another refugee flow into Europe uh, this winter, and that would put more pressure. So, look, Joe, I expect him to turn up all the levers of pressure on Europe to try to break the solidarity that we've seen. He could also cut cable uh, to to Europe. He could cut cable to Ukraine. Ukrainian, the the, the state really relies on Internet. Uh, So he's got a lot of ways to monkey about. Nord Stream, uh, the pipeline is leaking gas in the Baltic Sea right now. There are early reports that this is sabotage. I know it's being investigated. The White House really didn't want to weigh in one way or the other on that today, although the State Department did acknowledge that as a possibility. But it's created this massive uh, methane gas leak. It is a potential climate disaster here. And it's something that we talked about today with John Kerry, of course, the former Secretary of State, now uh, climate advisor to President Biden. He spoke to David Weston earlier. Here's what he said. Well, anytime you have a major leak, any, I mean, leaks are the problem with methane all around the world. But this is a massive leak bubbling up under the water, uh, much larger than the normal uh, leak. Uh, methane is 20 to 80 times more damaging than CO2, David. So it has a profound impact in adding the amount of methane in the air. Makes us think, Melinda, that, that Vladimir Putin can also weaponize climate, can't he? That's exactly right. And this was no accident. It's way too coincidental that these two pipes, you know, had leaks, uh, you know, around the same time. Uh, it's, it's not a coincidence. Russia has been weaponizing energy for years. And Vladimir Putin is flexing his muscles and showing the West and saying, look what I can do and I can do more. That's what he was doing uh, with, with these, these gas leaks. Do these developments change the U.S. posture? Are we doing everything we can knowing that the, the rules are continuing to change as we go? 
So the U.S. just announced another package to Ukraine. Good. Let's do more. There's, I think, 18 more high Mars. These are the long-range weapon rocket launchers. Yeah. But the White House is still refusing to send those long-range rockets that we talked about last time. Mm-hmm. They're still afraid of escalation. And this is the one thing that the Ukrainians are really begging for uh, right now, that they need to finish this war. But we also need to continue to send budgetary to support to Ukraine. And the European Union it needs to do its part. It's committed $9 billion, and it's only sent one, one of the $9 billion. And Ukraine wow. uh, is heavily, yeah, it's really bad. So, you know, my favorite idiom is uh, all, 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 all hat, no cattle. And that's really uh, what the Europeans are guilty of. So they talk a big game, but they actually haven't sent the money. And the state uh, in Ukraine really needs it. We learn something every time we talk to Melinda Herring. Please come back and talk to us soon. Deputy Director of the Atlantic Council's Eurasia Center on Ukraine. Melinda, thank you. We turn it to the panel next, of course. The situation is not getting easier. In fact, it's getting a lot more dangerous. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Sound On, only on Bloomberg. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Vladimir Putin attempting to move the goalposts here once again. The question is, will it make any difference at all? Let's reassemble the panel. We've got a few things we want to hit on in the next couple of minutes with Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors, our signature panel on the fastest hour in politics. Rick, this idea of annexing portions of Ukraine is straight out of the Putin playbook. The White House predicted it would happen. The question is, what happens when Ukraine potentially strikes, it seems inevitable, one of these areas, and Putin declares that to be Russian territory? Yeah, you, you, you look, I mean, Vladimir Putin's looking for leverage any way he can get it. Uh, this was sort of a, a, a mistake-free uh, way. He could he could orchestrate this sham election, declare it Russian territory and and sell it back into a country that is really starting to reject his battle plan. Hmm. So he's he's trying to create leverage both at home and abroad. The, the reality is, I think this puts him in an even tougher position, because what happens if he doesn't act and he's claiming that this is Russian territory? 
Um, you know, everybody seems to think that he's using us for a reason to use nuclear weapons or tactical nuclear weapons or, or to up the ante of the war. If he could up the ante of the war, he would have done it before he mobilized 300,000 young <laughs> Russians who are not equipped to fight. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, this is right out of the game plan, but I'm not sure it doesn't do anything but really put him in a worse position rather than thinking it's actually going to give him a rationale for further escalation. So is this territory the new Crimea, if you will, here, Jeannie, or, or does it, does, if this fails, does that throw Crimea in doubt? That's where, obviously, President Zelensky seems to think this war is going to end as he reincorporates that territory back into Ukraine. Yeah, and I think failure is the watchword of the day when you talk about this. I mean, because of the failures that Russia and Putin have experienced in this war, he changed the objectives in his speech. He made it, you know, a defensive mission, or he tried to say that. This came on the heels of that organization, cooperative organizational meeting in Shanghai, where he really took a beating from Modi and Xi. So, you know, he's trying to go on the offensive. It shows him, I think Melinda's absolutely right, Putin in a corner is Putin dangerous, and he is going going to try to use this to his advantage, but he doesn't have much more that he can do at this point. That's why, you know, Rick is talking about, you know, signs of nuclear war. We know that the United States is looking for those signs intelligence agencies. Mm -hmm. They don't know if they're going to find them if he decides to use them. But we do see really a cornered Putin at this point, and we don't know what to expect. It's a really dangerous time for Russia and for Ukraine for those reasons. We've seen no movement in Russia's nuclear arsenal, Rick. Uh, you just heard Melinda speaking earlier, uh, making it very clear, Melinda Herring from the Atlantic Council, that no one in Washington really expects that to happen. Are you in that same group? Yeah, I mean, look, we got to remember earlier this month, um, Ukraine claims responsibility for attacks on Crimean airfields. Now, this was long before the announced referendum in these disputed areas. Mm -hmm. And Crimea is considered by Vladimir Putin part of the Russian territory. So when air bases were attacked in Crimea, did he threaten uh, a nuclear attack because we, you know, because Ukraine was hitting uh, bases in Crimea? Uh, no more so than he has in general. So, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, I, I think you just got to use history as the guide. And, and the reality is, you know, he likes to bluster about, you know, uh, you know, trying to escalate this war because he thinks he gets a reaction out of the U.S. And, and our European allies. And he has. Right. We're sitting around twisting in the wind about not giving F-16s or, <laughs> right. or MiGs to Ukraine because we're worried about escalation. Yeah. Well, you know, the only thing that is escalatory at this point is 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 Vladimir Putin using nuclear weapons. And, and, and you, you just have to make a decision whether you think he's bluffing or not. I fear we're in for another uh, series of topless hunting photos, but uh, we won't hold our breath for that. Rick and Jeannie, I want to ask you about Hurricane Ian. Category 4 made landfall west of Fort Myers. This is a big one, a big deal. Uh, and it, it, a storm like this always comes with a certain level of politics. Uh, President Biden talked about it today at the aforementioned hunger summit here in Washington and had a warning a warning for oil and gas companies. Listen. My experts informed me the production of only about 190,000 barrels a day has been impacted by this storm thus far. That's less than 2% of the United States daily production impacted for a very short period of time. This small temporary storm impact on oil production provides no excuse, no excuse for price increases at the pump, none. 
and gas companies try to use this storm to raise prices of the pump, I will ask officials to look into whether price gouging is going on. America is watching. The industry should do the right thing. Is that just a prerequisite to say that when a storm is coming at this point, Jeannie? This is a president that has uh, had a very challenged relationship with these companies lately. He has, and he is right to put this out there. The reality is, and, and Joe Biden knows this better than anybody, that these natural disasters can make or break a politician. It really is a, a point at which you are seen as either capable and able to manage a crisis or not. And we've seen plenty of people who have been broken by storms. You know, I live in New York, and Bill de Blasio never recovered from that first snowstorm of his term. John Lindsay, I mean, you can go through the list. So both Joe Biden and and DeSantis know this very well. I think this is a more fraught time, quite frankly, for the governor of Florida, because he's almost in a position of he's damned if he doesn't, damned if he doesn't, because he's facing Donald Trump on the other side of Joe Biden. Well, let's talk about that. Ron DeSantis got on the phone with Joe Biden, got a phone call from Joe Biden. Everybody wants to be a fly on the wall here. And it's just amazing, you know, with shades of Obama and Chris Christie, although I really just don't see a hug coming here. Ron DeSantis talked about the call and was, you know, quite respectful for somebody who's calling out Joe Biden on a regular basis. Listen, you know, my, my phone lines open when people's lives and their property are at risk like this. You know, we all need to work together regardless of party lines. Uh, the Biden administration has approved our request for a pre-landfall declaration and did that very quickly. So so we're thankful for that. You know, obviously, as this the impacts are known, uh, you know, there's going to be more requests, particularly uh, for individual assistance for Floridians that may have been displaced. You know, and it's my sense that the administration, you know, wants to help. I think they realize that this is a really significant storm. Huh. How about that? Is this the storm that takes the edge off DeSantis, Rick? Well, it certainly shows him to be more of a statesman than most of his activities, you know, shipping immigrants around the country. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, he, uh, it, this is right out of sort of politics 101. You know, when when faced with this kind of massive destructive power of a storm like this, uh, you got to grow up and act like an adult. And and he's doing that, and so is Joe Biden. I mean, they, they, they are sounding like uh, what politicians are supposed to sound like when faced with this kind of crisis: cooperative uh, states working with the federal government and vice versa mm-hmm. to ensure the safety of their people. And you know, kudos to them for laying down the arms and not taking shots at each other. And I just hope that that the you know sort of chattering class in Washington takes a lead from that and sort of just here, here. shuts up for a little while between now and the midterms on this so that the people of Florida can recover. You're here. Well said. Uh, something else I've got to ask you guys about that happened at this uh, food summit today. President Biden is just some, this is kind of a, a tough one to bring up, but he asked a, he asked a crowd there during that same speech of a congresswoman who died last month was present. Listen to Joe Biden. And I want to thank all of you here for including bipartisan elected officials like Representative Governor, Senator Braun, Senator Booker, Representative Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? I didn't think she was was going to be here to help make this a reality. That's Jackie Walorski, the late Republican congresswoman. We, of course, talked about this when it happened. Indiana Republican who died in a tragic car accident, a car crash. Uh, the president clearly, I mean, if we could play it back, but he, he sure seemed to think that she was supposed to be there. Uh, this came up in the White House briefing. The White House press secretary, I'm not sure, helped the matter with her answer. Here's Corrine Jean-Pierre. 
So the president was, uh, as you all know, you guys were watching uh, today's event, a very important event on uh, food insecurity. The president was naming uh, the congressional champions on this issue and was acknowledging her incredible work. He had uh, he had already uh, planned to welcome the congresswoman's family uh, to the White House on Friday. There will be a, a bill signing in her honor this coming Friday. Uh, so, of course, she was on his mind. She was of top of mind uh, for the president. He uh, looks very much looks forward to discussing her remarkable legacy of public service with them when he sees her family this coming Friday. He said, "Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? She must not be here." No, I totally understand. I just, I just explained she was on top of mind. Top of mind, or on top of mind, as uh, Karine Jean Pierre put it there, Jeannie is is that's really all anyone got in, in further questioning here is is there a line between gaffe and competency or capacity uh, when something like this happens you know joe biden making gaffes is no surprise to anyone and um, we're all reminded when he asked chuck graham to stand up and chuck graham was in a wheelchair that was many many years ago um and so this is not new for 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 joe biden but i think to me this is a a real failure if i can call that of his communications team both prior to the event giving him what he needed to yeah. succeed at that event and then in the aftermath you know yes she's on his mind but that was not an appropriate response what did you think of that reply what do you do with that rick yeah you know sometimes you just got to say i'm sorry right i mean Mm -hmm. the president made a mistake today um you know this was one of the things i really uh was impressed by john mccain you know and working for him all those years he did not mind going out to the press and saying i screwed up and there it is and and then it (laughs) stops the story and now this is we're going to be talking about this for a couple days we're going to make fun of him with us i'm joe this is bloomberg Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.